0: Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale Of yon cool Cullen Deirdre all the sorrows grow on your wail From giants right down to fairies about the drooping and solitary And those who are sometimes scary Anything goes by the fireside yeah. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish Storytelling Podcast. Each episode of Fireside we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olhan, I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 77 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a story about two lovers by the Dargill River. But before that, I want to give a huge welcome to any first-time listeners. A very big welcome to any returning listeners. Thank you so much for your continued support. Please do continue to like, subscribe, leave ratings and reviews wherever you get your podcasts. If you really want to support the podcast or contact me in any way, you can do so at Instagram at FiresideBard or by my email at thefiresidebard, all one word, at gmail.com. And if you do so wish, there is, of course, the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcast, where you can join our our ever-growing list of very loyal benefactors. Uh, we had no new ones this week, so I just want to give a thank you to our three most recent stills, Jared O'Sullivan, Libby Frizz and Sayla, who have joined the ranks of our fireside benefactors. Thank you so, so much for your continued support, especially at this time. Speaking of this time, because this is a podcast, you know, that can be listened to any time of the year, past or present or future. And as I have been saying, I hope that by the time... If it's someone who's listening to the first episode as this is coming out, that they are getting to this episode in a few months time or in a year's time when all of this is a a distant memory of the quarantine, the lockdown, which has certainly, I think we are about to enter into phase three here in Ireland of our easing of lockdown restrictions where there is talk of pubs opening once again at some some capacity, which is incredibly exciting, and the prospect of us all being in each other's lives again, which is incredible. And I do indeed hope that all of you are still safe and sane wherever you are, and that this podcast has been able to be some solace to you, some bit of entertainment, some bit of something during this challenging time. I know... The writing and recording of it has certainly been of great solace to me and I feel very grateful, as always, to have my home set up here until I can return to the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network in Dublin. And again, speaking of the Headstuff Podcast Network, there is very, very exciting news coming from Headstuff soon that will affect Fireside in a big way and in a very positive, uh, beneficial way and I think could make the podcast even uh, grow to an even bigger audience, which is all I've ever wanted for this to be, this podcast to reach as wide an audience as is possible. And so with all of that in mind, I'm going to get down to the story. This week's story is, again, it's a folktale from my home county of Wicklow that I discovered in Brendan Nolan's book of Wicklow folktales. This was a story I actually wrote a few weeks ago but changed where I wanted to record it and when I wanted to release it because of the theme of it that came up. This is a story that centres around Midsummer. Midsummer, which, as the time of this podcast coming out, <clears throat> it'll come out this Wednesday. Uh, midsummer in Ireland is this Saturday. It's Friday or Saturday, I believe, um, which is the the longest day of the year. Um, it's Sunday, actually. Sunday is Midsummer, is the 21st. And it Midsummer is quite significant in Ireland, certainly to a younger generation, because it is always the weekend that the music festival Body and Soul has always been on, which is certainly my favourite of the music festivals that goes on every summer in Ireland. Just a really, really nice festival. It's a really great time of the year. The days are so long. The we- weather is relatively nice for Ireland. And certainly this will be a weekend where many will miss that. Um, but this is a story centred around midsummer. And it's not really a very Irish tradition, so to speak. Obviously we do we did and we do celebrate it, but the winter solstice is a much bigger thing, obviously, in the more traditionally cold Ireland. For example, Newgrange, the passage tomb, one of the oldest man-made constructs in the world. Um, has a light box that was designed 8,000 years ago that still, every midsummer, when the light hits it just right, illuminates the entire interior of the chamber. Anybody who knows New Newgrange, will know exactly what I mean. If you don't, look it up. It's an incredibly astonishing... A feat of human engineering that was done thousands and thousands of years ago, and it's a long, long passage tomb. And just for these select few minutes, I don't know if you know, it, it might just be for like one minute that the entire inside is is lit up. And like, you tickets are raffled for this. It's almost impossible. You can be there when this happens, but it is a it is a raffle for it, and a very difficult one to get into. And what I do hope to to do at some stage. But certainly with um, Ari Aster's incredible film *Midsummer*, which came out last year which is still one of the most affecting films I've seen in a long time and cemented an absolute love I have for Florence Pugh as one of the greatest actors currently working. Um, I think she's incredible um, in everything that I've seen her in but particularly in that really, really at times hard going very emotional, devastating film that's just it was so original and so vibrant, and I wouldn't be traditionally great with horror films, but it's um it's one of my favorite ones I've seen I actually a lot of people would say that his first film, hereditary was much stronger, but I actually personally prefer it midsummer as I feel I'll be able to rewatch midsummer, whereas I don't know if I'll ever be able to rewatch hereditary, but I mean that usually when you say you'll never watch a film again it's a bad thing but in horror i think that's the only case where the opposites can sometimes be true i found it so affecting hereditary and maybe that was the stronger strongest ultimately but i adored midsummer um but so obviously midsummer is a big festival it's in in scandinavia in general um but not so much in ireland but here we have a story centred around it ourselves, and I'll get down to it right now. We'll talk a bit more about the story afterwards. But this is the story of the Dargal Lovers on Fireside. The Dargal Lovers The river Dargal begins its journey in the Wicklow Mountains. It flows down the valley until it launches off the nearly 400-foot drop of the Powerscourt waterfall. Making its way through Glen Cree, the Dargill whispers through the town of Bray before finally meeting the Irish Sea. The Dargill was the traditional place for the annual day out for the middle and upper classes of Wicklow and Dublin. But the romantic river waters have often drawn romance, and on at least one occasion, tragedy. The Feast of Midsummer known in Christian Ireland as St. John's Day, takes place towards the end of June to mark the longest day of the calendar year. The Irish have never quite had the same fabled association with the feast as our Scandinavian friends in the north, who were of course at one time our Scandinavian invaders. But every midsummer it is said that if you look towards where the Dargle River rushes down the Wicklow Mountains, you can see the spirit shape of a deer a dear searching for her wronged, lost love. There was once a Wicklow woman named Mary who was in love with a Wicklow lad named Edward. I say in love. Mary was more in love with the idea of loving Edward. He was great on paper. He was loyal, kind, and generous. Too much, some would say. But Edward himself, he adored Mary. He loved her in every sense of the word too much. He had no self-respect. He would just do whatever Mary asked whenever she asked it. And because you cannot respect one who does not respect themselves, Mary's eyes soon began to wander. There was a gold necklace that Mary coveted more than anything else she had that week. She was determined to have it, but the only problem was it could only be found in Dublin City. Wicklow borders Dublin, but it is still a long calf-burning trek there and back again. But Edward gladly volunteered and said he would walk there the following morning and be back before daylight had left the sky. Oh no, said Mary, you mustn't make that journey twice in one day. You should treat yourself and stay the night in Dublin, and then you can bring me my present the next day. Edward agreed. Like he agreed with everything Mary said. At dawn, he left Wicklow for the rocky road to Dublin. But Mary had deceived Edward. The real reason she had wanted him to stay the night in Dublin was that so she could have a secret rendezvous with another lover. They were to meet that evening on the banks of the River Dargle. It was the perfect plan. But Edward's devotion to Mary would prove to be both their downfalls for Edward thought he'd surprise Mary he didn't stay in Dublin that night he made the long back aching journey to and from Dublin in the one day but because it was midsummer it was still bright clear and mild as Edward returned home he walked along the banks of the Dargal and was just in time to see Mary in the arms of another man Edward could not think. He felt sick. He felt his legs go from under him. He could not even comprehend the betrayal. He had been made an utter fool out of. He didn't even think he was a cuckold because they weren't even married. Worse, Edward didn't know how he could possibly face Mary. What could he say to her? He had never said anything but kind words to her, even when he deep down knew her wishes were selfish and didn't take his feelings into consideration. He had thought any of those problems would be sorted once they were married. Over the hill, Edward saw things begin to get hot and heavy for Mary and her lover. He could not watch them go any further. "'Mary lay on top of her illicit buck, "'kissing him in the bliss of the midsummer evening. "'The smell of his cologne mixed beautifully "'with the scent of the grass and the fresh water river. "'Her lover could not see, "'but Mary looked up to take in the other sights of her surround "'and felt a mood-killing pang "'as she saw Edward marching towards her "'with tears in his eyes and something in his fist. "'He has a rock, a knife.' A gun! He means to kill me, she thought. Mary shot to her feet and fixed her dress and attempted to compose herself. What would she say? What could she say? What could or would Edward say? But Edward said nothing. He stopped short of his former love as her confused bow tucked in his trousers. Edward threw what was in his hand at Mary's feet. It was the gold necklace. Then... Without saying a word, Edward walked off up the hill towards the mountains. He reached a cliff's edge, where in the sight of Mary and her lover, Edward plunged himself to a lonely, jagged, broken grave. Mary was destroyed. The remorse and shame she felt after driving her beloved Edward to his untimely grave tore her apart. He had been so devoted and good to her, and still he was not enough for her. When Edward was buried beneath the ground, Mary spent the entire first night weeping by the grave, until she had to be removed by two spooked gravediggers. And I needn't tell you, it's hard to spook a gravedigger. Mary was assured by her family that it wasn't her fault, that she couldn't hold herself responsible for Edward's decision. She was also assured that time would heal the wounds, and eventually she would forget her dead love. But these were all hollow words. Nothing could change the fact that she had been unfaithful to Edward. That would be true forever, and he would never live again, so she could never make it up to him. Mary began taking walks back up along the Dargle, back to the site of her Edward's death. She wanted to be close to him again, and the gravediggers told her she wasn't welcome at the graveyard. But on that cliffside over the Dargle, Mary swore that she could see the shape of Edward. She thought she had imagined it, so she went home and slept. But when she came back the next day, the vision of her love was still there. Mary rushed home to tell her family, He's calling to me. Edward is calling to me to make up for my betrayal to him. Mary's family were terrified that she had lost her mind with grief, and tried to convince her so. When Mary wouldn't be convinced, her family tried to stop her from even leaving the house. But Mary's heart could not be deterred. She would be with Edward once again. Midsummer came, and when the last gasp of daylight had finally been extinguished, Mary climbed the hill up to that cliffside, and proclaiming her love, joined Edward in eternity. And every midsummer since, a ghostly apparition of a deer is seen on that very cliffside in the Wicklow Mountains over the Dargal River. Many say it is the spirit of Mary, but what is never seen is the spirit of Edward. So some think that even in death the Dargal lovers have not yet been reconciled. But the spirit of Mary will wait. Until mountains have crumbled and the Dargill has dried up. For the day her love will forgive her. The end. Today's episode is sponsored by a brand new podcast. What Do You Want to Know takes your curiosity as its inspiration. Every episode features an expert answering questions posted by you, the listener, about specific topics. They'll talk about everything from how sign language works, to whether viruses are alive, to what a 5G network really is. You, the listener, can also suggest topics for future episodes so you could finally get the answers to what you want to know. Episode 1 is out right now, which explains everything you may have wanted to know about sign language. It is out wherever you get your podcasts go and check it out that is what do you want to know and that's the story of the dargle lovers on fireside and i hope you enjoyed it yes so yeah as i said i wrote this a good while ago but then wanted to it to coincide with this week the story of midsummer and the story of the dargle river which is the Wick- river that connects wicklow and dublin most famous uh, from a folk song called the Waxies Dargle," which actually which actually is uh, the source of the name of which uh, I was actually under a false impression of as I said at the beginning of this the, the Dargal River was traditionally uh, a day out and a kind of camping and picnic spot but traditionally for a more elite, for a more middle and upper class uh, gentry but uh, the more working class uh, labourers and people, particularly uh, candle wax makers, who are known as waxies, uh, they would have their traditional day out along the banks of the River Liffey, um, from Ring's End to Into Town, which... Then gave the liffy the nickname, The Waxies Dargle. So the traditional song is, says my old one to your L one, will you come to the Waxies Dargle? Says my L one to your L one, sure, I haven't got a far then." It's a song I've sang many times at the start of the Dublin literary tour that I am one of the guides on. Although I haven't done that in some time, obviously. Um, and I always thought that it was referring to the Dargal River and that the Waxies went to the Dargle, but no it, the the Dargal was considered uh, inappropriate and so they made their own Dargal River but that's what made this uh, quite a draw and um, yeah it, it's it's the river that powers off the Powers Court Waterfall which if anyone has been to Ireland I hope you have gone there it's certainly one of the most beautiful sights um, in my home county of Wicklow as a matter of fact I was there yesterday and I don't think I'd been there since I was very, very young, if I had been there at all. And it genuinely, this is no plug, but it genuinely was one of the most beautiful spots I've seen anywhere in this country. Um, It's just a beautiful open valley and the weather was nice and people were picnicking and barbecuing. And there was even a group of people who had set up a badminton net. Like, it was this incredible image um, and it was it was such a beautiful beautiful sight and beautiful day and great to see people out again and in each other's lives and i think there was that vibrancy of people being allowed to be out um in any kind of capacity but yeah what i liked self-respect is uh is a thing i'm very drawn to in stories and in general because it's something i've struggled with a huge amount myself particularly in my early 20s I managed to get it a bit more in check I think it's a thing we all struggle with to a degree particularly when it comes to matters of romance Um, I think when we want something or someone we have a tendency to put their needs before our own particularly when we're trying to you know win them over or something or, or trying to you know get them to be with us in the first place and those are the times where we can tend to not feel Self respect at all, and of course, self respect is one of the most attractive things to to another person. So, you know, we fawn, we we intend to fawn over people, and uh, then wonder why our feelings are not reciprocated. When the key thing is uh, is to respect yourself, as uh, as RuPaul says, if you can't love, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell you're gonna love somebody else? says at the end of every episode of RuPaul's Drag Race and it is dead true and it's at the end of every episode because it bears constant, constant repeating and it's a journey Uh, and it was a long one but it's the one i for the most part have come out the other side of and definitely would consider I have more self-respect now but that made me really empathise with Edward in this story and made made this story quite believable for me it's uh and you know it's easy to to villainize uh to villainize mary in it as the you know the the traitor to her love but you can also understand that she's a young woman she's being souped uh, courted by a few different people and uh she's keeping her options open and uh it's very tragic that, it, uh, that this is what comes and she spends all of the rest of eternity trying to make up for this fact to make up for the fact that she betrayed one who had been so kind and so good to her. It uh, puts me in mind actually of the Neil Gaiman book, Stardust, um, which was, I think the first film adaptation of a Neil Gaiman book I had read, I had seen. And then I later read the book, uh, which is brilliant as well. It's a good film, but the book is is much better in a common in a common form. Um but the the loose plot of the book, without giving away any details, is more kind of the premise of it, is a young mom, a young man named Tristan Thorne trying to win over the affections of a girl in his town, and he promises her that he's going to go and get get her a falling star and he's going to give it to her for her birthday but she Victoria is her name and she has little to no interest in Tristan because she's being courted by a much richer much more uh, handsome successful uh, gentleman named Humphrey and him as the more eligible bachelor and so the book is Tristan's journey um to discover self-respect and You know, a great question asked is like, so you're doing this for her, but what's she doing for you? You know, what is is she doing to prove that she loves you? Because, of course, love needs to come from both sides. There is too much of an image perpetuated by a huge amount of media, which is rooted in a lot of folklore, to be fair, still of um, the pursuit of love being a one-sided thing, that it is a thing traditionally... Uh, traditionally a male thing that it's the man who has to win over the girl certainly that's the the narrative that has been painted so many times you know even in all the Disney movies um, where the female protagonist where the female is the main protagonist whether it be as a princess or wherever they have to be often pursued you know and that's what made The Little Mermaid such a great departure from that while it certainly has its problem problems in terms of how much more passive Ariel gets over the course of the story. Um, she was a great departure because she's really active. She goes and she gets what she wants, you know, it's her, she sees the man she wants and she goes and gets him. Um, and it makes her a really active character, which is one of the reasons she's so fantastic and so, um, resonant still with so many people. And um, but these stories, these stories in this Wycliffe Hotel book, they're quite they're quite simple and there's a there's there's a simplicity that I quite like. They're very again, there's a, there's a huge amount of cautionary tale and there's they're a lot more rooted. You believe that a lot of these stories could have really, really happened and that there is some kind of supernatural element that is still grounded in a reality. You know, you could believe in every aspect of this book, ex- of this story except for Seeing you know the spirit of the fawn and it is interesting that she appears as a fawn or as a deer you know that she doesn't appear you know just as herself um, because again you would believe that you would see the image of a person at night sooner than you see the image of a deer, deer which are quite common up in the Wicklow Mountains. Um, but I think I'm going to wrap things up there because people are making noise outside. It is one of the disadvantages of being in your home home studio is when other people live in your home and they have an entitled they're entitled to sit out in the sun as well because it actually is kind of sunny today, which is really nice. So who knows, I might actually get out to get a bit of sun myself today. But I hope you enjoyed the story. Please do continue to like, say, like subscribe, share, leave ratings, reviews, tell your friends. Follow me on the Instagram at FiresideBard. Contact me at, by email at the at gmail.com if you want to get in touch and you don't aren't on Instagram. Um, thank you so much to my producer Jamie and for Alan Paddy at Headstuff. Thank you for all of you for listening most of all. Um, I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. Thank you and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.